This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. The Hespid is first and foremost to acknowledge. Um, if we don't acknowledge, if we don't understand who he was and what he was for us, then somewhere along the line we've neglected it. There's the covet of the Nifta that someone who was such an incredible person has left us um, to acknowledge it and to talk about him and his godless and so on. That's one element of Hespid, and it's not the element of Hespid that I want to engage in now. Um, I would like to maybe in the in the lines along the lines of the Menal of Rabbi Hess about something that we can relate to. It says there's a Chuvas Agoinim. Um, it's it's called Shari Chuvas. It's a Chuvas Garden, not not the Shari Chuvas he brings down a Masiris that when Rav was Nifta, the Rav had 10 incredible elements of Kedusha, of Midas Hasidus, that he was Nohek. The Talmidim could not, no one could emulate or even undertake those Midas Hasidus. And therefore, um, they split it up. And each Talmud took a different aspect. We can't even do that. But I would like to try to focus on some points that possibly um, we could do something, it, it could be somewhat of a guide to us in our development, whether it's a hundredth, a thousandth, but some hanhagis, some sort of, something about the gavra that could apply to us. He's, he's an extraordinary, uh, in every way possible, but there are things that maybe could be something of, of to Ellis to us. First of all, a brief uh, just description of his uh, life. He was born in Russia yet and came as a very young boy to Yisrael. His father was a stipler. He learned in yeshivas, he learned in Leibach a little bit. His father didn't want him home. He went to Lomja. Um, and then he spent all of his life sitting and learning in his Dalaramas never had any position whatsoever. He was not a Rav, not a Rosh Hashiva, not a Rebbe. He sat and learned and learned and learned. As, a, as in the, the earlier years, people knew of him, but no one interacted with him. He simply sat in his Dalaramas and learned Yom Valayla. When his father passed away, Rav Shach told him that he has to start answering questions that people bring to him. He started becoming more of a public figure and then when Avshach was nifted and so on, he became, in a sense, the, the guide of the Dar, especially after Yashem Shteyman passed away. He never proactively walked out of his Dalaramis. If people came and asked him questions, he answered very laconically. Um, I'd like to start with a description of some hanhug of his that was unique. His bikiyas, his knowledge of all Chalkit Torah was incredible. 
he wasn't known as a young person as being especially brilliant. He was maybe bright. This I know from people who, who were with him. He was bright. He was a masmid. He, he, no one um, in any way sensed that he had that type of memory. And I'd like to maybe touch a little bit on what it was about. But he wrote Sfarim in incredible different areas of Torah. And he had a, a, a hanhaga that he called his chayvis, his debt burden. He had debts. His debts were that every year he had to finish Shas Gemara, Mishnayis, Yoshalmi, Rambam, Shoharuch, Mishnabura, Zohar. Year, every single year he finished it, made a siyum, Arab Pesach, and since, since it was synchronized around uh, a 12-month cycle, so every time there was a leap year, he had free time, and that's usually where he wrote his farm. And if you if you look at his farm, especially earliest farm, I don't know the latest farm, the earliest farm, many of them were written that time. That's that's an incredible. It's an incredible volume of learning. Even even just to look at the farm, just to look at him, um, and this started every night. It would start sometime after midnight until Vasikini Vidavan. And he was methodical. He had exactly mapped out what he would learn each day. And even in his last days, when he wasn't feeling that well, he pushed himself to finish his debt load. That was called that. The rest of the time, he learned the Iyun. He, he would learn whatever Inyan was learning, and he would learn it the Iyun. And then in the later years, like you said, there, were, there was times when people could come in, and he was very, very brief. You, it, very taciturn, and it, you know he would answer in a word, in two words, and, and that was it. But he, the the incredible volume that he said that he took as obligation is it, something really unparalleled. He's he was a very methodical and structured person, and that was, in a sense, how he accomplished so much. It obviously takes a tremendous amount of. Um, it, it takes a tremendous amount of ability to focus, but a big chalik of him doing that was the fact that he had set aside this is what he has to do, and he did it. The, um, the, in his early years, he, had, he struggled with Ion. He It didn't go that well for him, and he asked the Chazanish if just learning Bikias would work, and the Chaznish said, as long as it's clear and methodical and you understand what you're learning, that's also fine. It may be that that's where it came from, but in the end, he would wrote tremendous form, with tremendous depth, and even in all Chalkia Taira. So the, the um, part of his, it, the ability of his to structure his time and to make that the priority, the only times when he didn't uh, fulfill those obligations were the weeks that he sat shiva lo'leinu. And as soon as the shiva was over, whether it's for his Rebetzin or her daughter, and it, it, whatever the shiva was over, he or his father, he would um, immediately pay back the debts and learn 
whatever he had missed. But it was chok v'lo yavar that this would, would, he would do that. So one element that, that gave him such an incredible hekif and bekiyas was the fact that he had, um, he had, was meshabed himself. He had subordinated himself that this is the first priority in his life and nothing will take place that will push it aside. A second element, and the son noted this in the Hesped, the Hespedim were short, but his son um, said over two or three stories, and obviously if this is his son's recollection as a son and the things that came to mind with all those years, and he said, I'm going to be speaking as a child. He, he said over two stories, he said a few stories, but the two stories that I want to relate to have to do with a sense of time management. When the stipler was Nifta, so he started saying a share on Yoshalmi, Le'ilu Nishmas the stipler. That was a, a, um, an ongoing share once a week. He would say a share on Yoshalmi. The year was over. They, were, they had finished all of Zroim and Yoshalmi, and they were holding in the middle of Masechta Shabbos. He's, he didn't want to stop middle of Masechta. He finished Masechta Shabbos, and he stopped the share. The share it didn't continue. And his son asked him, why not? So he said, I showed the site. I, 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 I don't have the time for it. So he said, but you, when, you, when you're teaching, you're learning. What's the difference? Mali, you're learning this way. That, you're learning with Oilam. So he said, true. But preparation time is, is, is taking time out, and it's difficult. He asked him, how long does it take it to prepare for the share? He said, around five minutes. Reb Chaim was not someone who um, spoke with hyperbole, with flourishes, five minutes, a hair. He, it, was, it was very matter of fact. He said, it's five minutes difficult for me to navigate those five minutes. A second story he told over was that his, fa- that his father would come home for lunch. In uh, Israel, lunch is the dinner. It's the main meal of the day is, is lunch. He would come home. His wife was an extraordinary person. She was Rabbi Yashib's daughter. She, besides the myriad amounts of chesed that she did she was an incredibly warm, caring person. But everything revolved around that Reb Chaim should not waste a second in the house. He never, ever had to do anything. Her life was devoted to him and his menuchas nefesh to learn. And then everything else came. All the other chassadim, she did everything. So she would have dinner ready for him. He would come sit down. He would not start until she sat down with him. I'll cover it for his wife, and, and so on. She sometimes was a minute or two late, literally. Whatever, it's a household with kids, and so on. So the son said, as soon as he saw that she wasn't there, he swung around to the stender and sat and learned. That was, that was, that was obvious, you know, there's a minute or two, so we're, we're, We'll use it for learning. So a second element of Reb Chaim 
was his extraordinary time management. I want to um, point out a third area, and then I'd like to come back and talk a little bit about where we could do something, take something away, and so on. Um, Reb Chaim in learning was literally, I don't, I don't a database. You, if you asked him something and he said there was no place where this says, you knew there was no place where this says. Um, he, his, his, um, his command, his instant command of everything was incredible. Um, his son told off, not at the, not at the Hesped, but it told over when, when you asked him about any, um, when you asked him about the most complex cheshbonos in Kiddush HaChodesh, it was, he would lay it out for you like as simple as could be. Every um, equation, every cheshbon laid out, worked through, and put down. But when he had to convert lira to shekel, they changed the exchange rate from lira to shekel, he had a hard time. Simple myth, I don't remember what, I think it was 30 to one, I, I don't remember already, but it, but it was nothing. He, 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 he had problems with it. When you asked anything, um, Reb Aaron Feldman told me that he once walked into him and he mentioned something about, they told him, this is Rebaron Feldman, nothing registered. Then he said his name, and he said, did you write a shtickle Torah in a Torah magazine a few years ago on this Nisinian? You said, a, you, you made a good point over there. Um, I know for someone else, there was, Moshe was an extraordinary wealthy man who supported um, a, a stupendous amount of Torah in, in his lifetime. He was an incredibly wealthy man who, who was incredible He came into Reb Chaim the first time and introduced himself as Reichman. So he said, did you put out the Ramban Abobakama? There was a Rebbe Fall Reichman in your shrine for Ramban Abobakama. He said, no, I'm from Toronto, Reichman Toronto. I'm from Toronto, Toronto. What, what would you like? He, his, his incredible mind was stupendous in Torah and non-existent in any other area. Any fact, anything that he didn't need to remember, it was deleted as soon as it left. Um, and he, he knew everything about Torah in any way and re retained nothing, nothing else unless it was needed for that moment. So if someone came and explained something for Shiloh, he dealt with it. As soon as it was gone, it was gone from him. So I would label that the shkius, meaning the immersion, and the fact that the totality of his world was Torah. I'd like to go over these points and somehow um, get some sense that we could um, take it away. And obviously, this is uh, almost, uh, it, it's something, it boggles the imagination, this type of Hanhaga. But let's go and let's take it for ourselves. If a, if a Bacha would undertake and learn one mission a day, one mission a day, but would do it clearly, well, consistently, 
with the same sense of obligation that Reb Chaim felt, that no matter what, one Mishnah, I learn slowly, carefully, go over it a, a bunch of times until I feel that it's fluent. 365 days a year, a few years go by, and you have a thousand Mishnahs. Nothing spectacular about it, because we don't understand how spectacular consistency is. We don't begin to understand the value of doing something well, thoroughly, consistently. Um, it, it's something that, yes, if a person, we, when we undertake something, we're enthusiastic and we decide we're going to learn a, 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 a blot a day. Is a blot a day realistic? Most of the time, not. Um, we're going to finish this and finish that. But what about one Mishnah every day? What about one Halakha Mishnah every day? Or any other, any other undertaking that is easy in itself, but demands consistency. It's something that I don't think anyone here can't undertake something like that. And the incredible treasure of it is, is stupendous. A, a few hundred Mishnayas, once you know a few hundred Mishnayas well, then everything else begins to become easy. And, and you begin to have cheshit for it. And no one can argue that the 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you take, you, you just brought some English day, there's diagrams, there's everything, and learning it, and learning it, knowing it clearly, well, and misuda, not rushed, and going over it a few, few times until you feel fluent with it. That's one suggestion that we could learn, take one spark of, of his extraordinary. So if we focus on the fact that he knew all of Torah, we excuse ourselves and say, yeah, that was a Prime Kanyevsky, Baruch Hashem, we were that he lived in our generation, it, and, and we sort of are under his coattails. But what about ourselves? What would it take to take one item every day? His time management, um, for, that, that five minutes should be important to us, that a minute and a half should be important to us. Again, that's off the radar screen, and that's something that is totally not, not for us. But when we, we're, when we are in times that are not structured, so yeshiva time, and in in, in whenever there's yeshiva and school, the time is fairly structured for us, and we, we, we have a schedule. But there's, over the horizon is a Pesach vacation. And there's tons and tons and tons of time. We should allocate the time. And everyone has different needs. People do need to take it easy. People need to help. People need to do other things. All is fine and well. But instead of letting the time go by, and then we try to scratch our head and say, where did it go? If we learn how to manage time, then we would be able to get an awful lot done. We'd come back from, um, from vacation time and say, you know, we also relaxed. We also learned something. We also accomplished something. We, we could do a lot if we learn how to manage time. And again, I'm not, not talking about five minutes or one minute, but how about half hour, hour chunks of time? That, that certainly, I think, is on our radar screen that an hour that you can't figure out what you did during that hour is really, really a very sad hour. And finally, I want to talk about the third thing. 
that the, the inverse proportion of his um, Torah knowledge and his knowledge of other things. And again, we can't to just emulate blindly. That's not where we're holding. It, it, it's not us, and it's not where we should be. But I want to try to explain it a little bit. Whenever a person reads about some event in the world, so we, we, person reads about COVID, and so for us, the question is, what's going to close down? What's going to stay open, etc. A businessman reads it, and he asks himself, what's, um, how is it going to affect the business? Are rents going to go up? Rents going to go down? Work, unemployment up, down, interest rate, etc. That, that's what he sees. He doesn't see masks, and he doesn't see anything. He sees bottom line of a business. Same thing is true with the war. He doesn't, he, he, the first and foremost, he sees how will it affect my different business? Because that's the world he's coming from. That's what he's looking at. So the world that we're part of really sets our mind. To think that in the immediate future, we're all going to be in a world that is all Taira and so on and so forth. But I, I think that's aiming for something that's not realistic. But I would like to flip it around. If we're immersed in a world that's not Torah and not something that is necessary for us, that automatically takes away how relevant and important could Torah be if, if we're immersed in another dozen things that arguably are insignificant. People ask a lot of times about uh, spectator sport, et cetera, et cetera. The question is, is it a relaxation? Or is it um, a place where a, a, a fantasy that you run away from? <laughs> if you immerse yourself in one world, you're not in the other world. It's very difficult. So any activity a person does that falls under the category of relaxation, which is important and necessary, means that the person hasn't entered another world. He hasn't sunk into it. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he does it, then it's gone. He doesn't dwell over it, doesn't obsess over it, doesn't fantasize about it. It's, you know, he, he, he chilled out and, and that's it. But if a person puts himself into another world and becomes absorbed by it, then Torah can't go in. There's no interest. Just like the businessman who is so involved with his investments really doesn't care all that much about what the virus looks like. It, it, his interest is how it affects his business. If we're sunk into a world that's not Torah, then Mazik and Nizik and Yosh and Shinui are not going to make a terribly big impact. Memory, and part of Reb Chaim's incredible memory, didn't, he didn't have, to best of my knowledge, that photographic memory where he sees a street sign and it registers and he can't forget it. It wasn't him. But his only world was Mazik and Nizik and, and, and Hametz and Matzah and etc. That was the world that he inhabited, he lived in, and every piece was to him a core knowledge. He did it at the price of moving beyond our world and living in a different world. We struggle the other way around. If we're absorbed in a, in a different world, and that's our quote-unquote real world, 
then Torah becomes less and less a real world to us and much, much harder to, 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 to retain. If we seek, if, if people probably remember playing as young kids some games and stuff, they don't remember, you forget it because it's irrelevant, it's nonsense, it's stupid. That's the type of attitude that a person who starts moving into Olam Torah has, should have the things that are really fantasy and nonsense and so on. So I want to recap the points. We were fortunate to live in a generation with somebody who was an extraordinary paradigm of godless in every area, and we haven't touched anything about his person so much more. Like we said, we had a few minutes, and the point was not to be masked him, but to try to emulate the Talmide Rav, who tried to take something from him. We weren't even taking one of his midos, because each one of them is way, way, way beyond us. But of his midos, we're trying to take a tiny fraction of it and do something with it. The first one is, and we'll start them backwards, not to allow ourselves to immerse ourselves in a world that is really um, of, of no value. The things we have to do, we have to do. The things that we need to do, we need to do. But the things that we just immerse ourselves in another world because it sort of pulls us out of reality and allows us to, to be in a, in, in a different world, that's, not, that's something that takes away from Torah by definition. So the first thing is to learn not to become absorbed in something that doesn't need to become absorbed. You always pay a price for it in learning. Learning is, 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 is what pays the biggest price for it. The second thing is learning how to manage time. Time is the most precious commodity we have. It's the only thing that money can't buy, and it's the only thing that is the ability, it translates to everything else, is time. Learning how to allocate our time in a way that gives us what we need and what we really want is by managing it. Sitting down and saying to ourselves, how will we arrange our day in a way that's productive, useful, and maximizing what we can do. And finally, in learning itself, to, um, to learn how to make real goals and focus on more than anything else, consistency, and, and I, I know what the right word for it would be, that whatever we learn, and again, one mission is fine, but I know exactly what it means, clarity, it's, it, it's and, and, and a certain, and a fluency. I have it clear, I go over it a bunch of times, so that it comes easy for me. And learning to do that, and, and being, learning how to be consistent, will start building our uh, reservoirs of Torah. And it's amazing how in a few years, a person can gain an incredible amount of knowledge. And, and the more we have, the more we feel comfortable and confident to take on more. Bez Hashem, the Zmanim of Istalkos of Tzadik is a school of first and foremost to take some of his Hanhagis, to adapt some of his Hanhagis. And we should take that small sparks that are relevant to us, and Bez Hashem, they'll kindle our flames, and we'll become the people that we need to become, Bez Hashem. Thank mm-hmm. you.